This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume. I'm a game developer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a live streamer, and I'm also an entrepreneur. The internet knows me a little bit better as Night Squirrels. All right, and we are back. We are with my good friend Sid. His actual full name is Siddharth Jain. He's from New Delhi, India, but he's been in Singapore so long that I think we can almost call him a Singaporean now. Um, he's a serious game specialist with over 200 released games uh, in K-12 education, higher education, healthcare, corporate and government training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's done a bunch of cool stuff like that. He also runs Playware Studios in Singapore, who, just a little full disclosure, uh, my studio, BoomZap, has worked with Playware in the past. This is where I know Sid from. So Sid and I go way back. He's a great guy, and most recently he has just started with, and I'm going to let him tell you all about it, um, a great new board game. I'm going to let him tell you about that. How are you doing today, Sid? Doing extremely well, Chris. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you for coming. Yeah, it's been a mad, mad 48 hours. Uh, we just launched and we're almost like 50% funded. It's just the love I'm getting from the Kickstarter community is is is, is crazy. And uh, so I've been I've been I've been alive on uh, you know basically up on coffee all this time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kickstarters are like that. It's there's so much is, the the beginning of it is so important and it's so hard. You get into that little loop where you're just constantly pushing the refresh button. How much money did we get in the last 20 <laughs> seconds? It's it's the worst. Yeah. I've, I've totally been there. So before yeah. I want to talk about the Kickstarter, I want to talk about the word about. I want to just start a little bit about you. What is your history in games? How did you get involved in games, uh, in video games and board games? Tell me your game history real quick. Yeah, I've, I've been a gamer all my life. I used to actually play games professionally. I started games when I was like 12, uh, 8, actually. Got my Atari 9200. And I've just been in love all this time. Uh, I used to play games professionally. And I started my first game company with the money I had won playing exhibition matches for games like Dark Rain, for Age of Empires, for... Uh, Quake and all of these are like I'm talking about version ones of all these games mm-hmm. uh, back in India. And uh, then I won a bunch of competitions and I had to retire at the age of 22 because, you know, esports at 22, you're kind of getting getting old. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. After that, I've been uh, I, I run a game company. We found success, as you said, in, in serious games. And we've done a lot of cool technology stuff. We do VR, we do touchscreens, we do all kinds of very, very uh, awesome cave environments and mostly for military and healthcare and things like that. But my dream, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I get, like I said, I started in RTS and, you know, I play a lot of board games at home with my, with my two daughters. I have, uh, you know, I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. And we've been, you know, because I, I needed my fix for playing games. And my wife would be like, you know, you have to spend time with your kids. And so we found this compromise in board games, right? Where board games and card games and tabletop games, where, where we, we could do things together and um, and and so this thing that I'm doing now comes from there. And so there was this one time in my office about a year ago when I came back to office and we were like, you know, we, we were thinking about. So every time we do extremely well in Playware, like, you know, every like 50, 60 projects or so when we've like we're, where the money is coming in, you know what this is. You're an entrepreneur, right? Where you've got just enough money to pay all your staff and mm-hmm. everything is good. And, you know, you're like kind of feeling that that itch to do something edgy again and you know what's the new game we should build and and i just kind of 
I just said, literally, this is these are the first words that came out of my mouth. I said, flying sail ships. That, well, that's what I want to do. I want to flying sail ships. And my one of my concept artists, George, who was sitting next to me, he says, what? He says, you know, I was like, you know, I, I, I just said, I just want to do a game about flying sail ships. And he says, what kind of game? I said, you know, why not do like a, like, like we should do a board game. And he's like, I, I'm all over that. Anyways, the rest of the meeting, we were talking about uh, some kind of, uh, you know, I can't remember. I can't even remember. It was some sort of a, it, it went into the actual simulation mode kind of thing that we were trying to do. Something to do with 360 degree video and AR, VR and Oculus and stuff like that. But three days later, George comes and hits me with this gorgeous concept art that's literally been snatched right out of my my brain, right? It's just like, it's my dream come true. And he's like, he shows me this ship that's flying. And actually, it's the ship that, that you see on our cover art now. Mm-hmm. It, it was an early version of that. It He shows me this and he's like, you know, I've been working on this for a few months now. So he actually had his own dream of a flying yeah. ship thing. <laughs> and you had a dream of a flying ship thing. And you were like, let's do a flying ship thing. And he was like, hey, you know what? For the last couple of months, I've been doing a flying... That's pretty, uh, you don't run into that very often. Yeah, and then, like, everybody in the office, like, everybody's jaw dropped, and they're like, and and, and so my modeler, my 3D modeler is like, so what would this look like? And I was like, you know, this would be a, you know, a miniature ship. It's beyond the, and, and, you know, so we have a huge, we have another guy in the office, Sean, who's my co-designer on this. He's a, he's a huge uh, kind of, you know, living miniatures fan. He basically plays uh, Warhammer. Right, the games workshop game, Warhammer, forty k. So he was like, uh, you know, oh, yeah. we can do this and we can do this and we can have miniatures and this and that. And the, my producer, Shri, she's like, she's always the kind of pragmatic one, and she's like, okay, so from what I hear, this Warhammer thing is already huge. Why should anybody buy your game? So then we were like, mm-hmm. okay, and th- that kind of kind of like settled down, and then it, it literally was. I'm like, I'm telling you, it was like. Left, right, and center. So Shalesh, the guy who does our prototyping, he's like a real Mr. Fix-It in the office. He does everything. Anything we are doing, I mean, we have to build a freaking giant touchscreen wall. We'll throw Shalesh at it, and he'll figure out how it's going to be done. And so he comes up with this concept. He says, what if they were not tabletop miniatures in the conventional way? What if they went up and down? What if they actually flew? And so I was like, what, you want to mean, you want to do, you know, remote control ships? He says, no, 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 no. Why don't we have ships that really go up and down? And that moment, I can tell you, like, there's like, you can imagine there was 15 people sitting in, in that room and we were talking and nobody was talking for like a good three minutes. Everybody was like thinking and then everybody exploded. And, and we quickly cut out pieces of, uh, paper, we stuck them onto radio antennas, we were moving them up and down, we started playing that game. Yeah, and here we are. It was just, it's been like one awesome idea, like everybody's been contributing, we've been like building it up and building it up and building it up. And so we were like, let's do a Kickstarter on this, we can kind of like get more people on board. You know, so we were like, our good friend, you know, Ian, Ian Gregory? Ian's been on the show. <laughs> so I reached out to Ian and I told Ian, that uh, Ian, I want to do this flying miniatures game and come and see our concept. And he's like, you know, he comes in and he says, this is awesome. Can we also have the miniatures so that 
they can change can we make them moddable it's like a it's like a toy like i want to i want to grab these little toy pieces and put the little toy pieces together you know but it has ships and boards that are completely moddable that lets you play this game for you know we you know we are making a living miniatures game we want people to spend their lifetime obsessing over it um, we've kind of like we've really really sort of gone all out making the best game we could so you, you you've got this studio you've got this game studio that that's a digital game studio it makes you know wall-based insulations and it makes all this other stuff and you make a little bit of money and you say okay we've got some money to do something new and you say let's do a board game nobody in the studio was like uh, dude, we don't make board games. Like nobody, nobody oh, fought back uh, on yeah, that. Yeah, I kind of kind of swept that under the carpet. So we got a lot of pushback. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there had to be some people in the studio that were like, "Dude, I'm a digital artist. What am I supposed to do with yeah. this? Yeah, I'm a programmer. What do you What we, do you expect we, me to we do here?" We did get a lot of pushback. Everybody was like, "Why not make a video game?" Right? Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of but that feel that you know like. My first dream, it was like a dream sequence, right? My dream sequence was this flying ship that I'm handling and there's like sunlight coming at the back and it's, it's kind of like we're in the clouds and it's on a table, but it's in the clouds and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the ship up. It's like, you know, it's like, it's a goddamn flying ship, right? It has to be there. And somehow, yeah, but I mean, you just—you could have had a sail ship in a video game. Yeah. What What was the thing? Why Why not a video? I mean, I, I look at this, and it, it was funny. I actually posted this on my Facebook when yeah. you started the Kickstarter, and one of the people who saw the thing that I posted on my my my, 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 my Facebook, yeah. the first thing he said was, "How can I play this in digital form? Where can I get the digital? Where can I get the video <laughs> yeah, game of this? I, maybe a digital game later. Maybe a digital game later. My. But my my question is why 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 board game? Okay, so mainly the board game because that's how I spend most of my time with my daughters. And I want to spend, you know, my mm. daughters have been very involved with. I mean, if you look at our first uh, play session video, it's my younger daughter playing this with her friends. So like the bunch of nine-year-olds mm -hmm. going at it with two ships and you know duking it out. So it, it board game because that way I knew I could kind of involve my daughter. That was a little bit of personal like kind of personal dream and. And then uh, there's, there's, there's solid financial reasoning. There's solid kind of business reasoning to this as well. So I, I like how the financial uh, reasoning comes second. I like how you're like, oh, this is really what I wanted to do. And now let me <laughs> rationalize it with some financial. Yeah. Board games have been doing really well. And I think, um, I think a, lot of, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, there's a lot of stuff on on the digital media. It's really difficult to catch people's attention. You know, you know that. You're a digital studio. You know, mm -hmm. you know how much it costs to actually get somebody to play a game, even if it's for free. You have no idea. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We are B2B, right? So Playware has always been, we've had big clients. We have people like Bayer, which is like uh, one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Singapore Airlines, biggest airline yeah. in the world. You know, Resorts World Sentosa, massive eight uh, hotel resort in Singapore. Uh, they are our customers. So we've, we've kind of always done stuff where we have one huge, like, gorilla to feed, right? One. And if that person's satisfied with me, you know, I get more business, I get more money, I stay alive. For us to go into that space with entertainment where you have millions of people and they will play the game and then 100,000 of, 100, of those might kind of buy something and, you know, five or 10,000 of those actually buy anything significant enough to make this justifiable was just like a crazy kind of business risk. But 
with a Kickstarter, a board game mm. Kickstarter, we were delivering an actual product to people who kind of already bought it. So that's much more like what we already do. This kind of felt way more up our speed than a digital game, even though mm-hmm. we are primarily a digital kind of uh, company. And so the whole, the thing is, we have built this, we built this really awesome game, and it looks like it's going to be a hit. And 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 we we can always follow it up with a with a digital game. But if we had done the digital game first, we would never know whether we can do a board game or not. There's a great model for uh, Ticket to Ride or Waterdeep, you know, these other games that had a, a really great board game, and then afterwards they did a digital version of it. There's there's a pretty good model for that. So I want to I want to ask another kind of related but off the topic question. Um, tell me about the board game scene in Singapore, right? I know Singapore as a very digital town. I know it as a very game centric town. Does it have a strong oh, yeah, board it has game a culture? Mad, mad. Uh, you know, there are Dollars Point, for instance. I'm going to call out some shops, right? Dollars Point is in uh, in a housing estate uh, somewhere in in Hong We have a Battle Bunker, which is in the middle of a mall, uh, you know, at, at Iluma. So you've got you know you know game shops uh, in malls and HDB estates, and and people play games regularly. I mean, like it's a it's a very small city. And so for me to go down to Alan's house or for yeah. Alan to come over to my house, it's pretty easy. And uh, so mm-hmm. we do that pretty often. And, and it's also expensive to go out to bars in Singapore. Or you can go broke drinking in Singapore. I Seriously, you guys charge way too much for liquor in that town. One of the very common things that people do is the people meet at home and drink at home. And so what do you do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, you're like two dudes and, you know, and, and, and they're meeting up at home and, and drinking. I'm like, what are they going to do? They're, well, board games is pretty good. Yeah, that could go in a very a odd pretty, direction. What what do two dudes the, do drinking at yeah, home? You play well, board you games. see, when two dudes you like each other games. very yes. much, they play board games. <laughs> Let's keep it at that. <laughs> but no, this is interesting because I, I think um, this, is, this kind of touches on, you know, it's not just Singapore. The whole world has seen this renaissance of board games. And I really think a, a big part of it is exactly that. It's very difficult for me to say, you know, if I got a couple friends to say to a couple friends, hey, why don't we all go over to Bob's house and sit mm-hmm. at a table and talk yeah. for three hours? Like, that's a very, you can't really <laughs> say that, right? And, 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 you know, you can say like, hey, let's all go over and watch a movie or let's do something. But that's always some sort of external entertainment where we're all going to be staring at one thing and being quiet. But the idea of I actually want to be with my friends. I want to communicate with my friends. I want to sit around and have a couple beers. You, it's, it's very uncomfortable, I think, for the modern people, you know, modern people to say, let's yes. just go hang yes. out at my house. And so saying, oh, well, I've got this game that we can play. It's almost secondary to the. Hey, I've got four or five friends, and I'd like to yeah. just spend some time with them. And now this gives me an excuse to do it in a way that yes. digital entertainment you got doesn't. It. Spot on. And I, I think for, I think a lot of it is is you know people are are so into digital entertainment now that I think we're yeah. we're looking for that as people. I think we're looking for that human connection that we we just don't get with video games anymore. Even even multiplayer games. In you fact, really I'd, just I'd don't like get. to say something else now. Uh, I'm like I, I'd like to say something. I'm like I'm, I am a digital mm-hmm. guy, so. I, I will say, you know, it's become yeah. like this, right, that my digital time is my me time. I don't want to share it. You know, I may feel like doing something for a few seconds mm. and then feel like doing something completely else for a few seconds. Watch a video on Facebook and, you know, 
you know, go to YouTube, follow something, and then go play a game for some time, and then go somewhere else. That's my me time. I don't want people telling me, hey, no, I want to finish this scene, right? So digital entertainment is not really social. It's it's kind of personal. And and so this is this is the social. That That's what I think. I, mean, like it, I don't think that this is either or. I just think that this is like it, it's two different things. Yeah, I actually totally agree. You know, one of the games I play a lot of is Hearthstone, and one of my big problems with Hearthstone is I'll be in the middle of a of a game of Hearthstone, and somebody will be like, "Hey, Chris, let's you know." My my wife will be like, "Hey, can you come in here?" And I have to be like, "Sorry, I can't. I got to finish this one game of Hearthstone <laughs> because I'm on a timer, and I don't want to you know lose my ranking or whatever." And so I'm actually having to tell somebody who's Ooh. in a house with me, I can't do this thing that you want me to do right now because a complete fucking stranger on my iPad might yeah. possibly get irritated <laughs> with me. Yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah. I need you, wife who I love and care about, to wait while I wait for this complete stranger to figure out which card he's yeah, going to play. This has happened to me. This has happened to me. <laughs> Yeah, it feels it feels very strange to me, and I, I it's weird that we've reached this point in society where I'm I'm starting to value complete strangers on yeah. the other side of the internet more than people yes. who I'm in direct contact with. I was playing a multiplayer game once online. Uh, Age of Empires was a match, and you know Age of Empires like it's a half an hour match, and uh, half pay. Like mm -hmm. I just started and had a great start. You know, you know, with RDS games, if you kind of base build correctly, the the war is going to go your way, right? So I just finished base building, and, and, and my wife runs in and she says. I spilled tea, hot tea, on our daughter. And I'm like, put her under a tap. Oh. <laughs> I didn't look up at the screen. I didn't That's look terrible. up at the screen. I said, put her under a tap. And my wife, she was oh, so distraught. She didn't, even, like, she didn't even register that I just did that to her. She just ran away. Put, and I was like, it took me like, uh, like it took me a few kind of, I, I don't even know. I'm like, it took me a period of time till I realized, what the did I just and I just immediately logged off and I've, I actually haven't played since, right? So it's like uh, I, I'm so I'm so ashamed of myself. Oh yeah, it's the same. I mean, yeah. I used to play Warcraft, you know, and I can I can remember being here sitting and playing Warcraft, and you know, I joined some some raid or something, and of course, you know, when you're on a raid in Warcraft, you know, you're you're in yeah. you're <laughs> in for a while, right? And and my my kids would come up and be like, you know, hey, come come do this thing, and I'd be like, I can't, Daddy's on a raid, you know, and you're like. This is so wrong. This is so... Why am I... You know what? These guys that I had never seen or heard of on the internet, they can they can go get themselves screwed. I've got I've got kids and they, you know, this is what they're going to remember is, you know, yeah. dad loved that, you know, game so more than me. board games, what happens is it's the whole family. So when we're playing together, yeah. it's the whole family. And it's like, you know, we just are together. And, and, and my daughter is like, you know, she... And this is like my 13-year-old, right? She's in secondary school now. And... And she gets these mad messages from her friends who are like, you know, everything with, with, with teenagers, right? everything has to happen immediately, right? And, and everything is a life crisis. He mm -hmm. looked at me, he didn't look at me or whatever, right? Uh, you know, I've got a project due or whatever. It can be, it can be work for it, it can be anything. And, you know, she gets these mad messages and she's like, uh, sorry, we're, we're in the middle of a game. You know, my campaign's going pretty well. My dad's beating me, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's an amazing thing. You know, it's funny. I grew up. My family, you know, was was a was a not a gaming family in the sense that we're talking about now, but they yeah. were a they were a card gaming family. And whenever I would get together with my parents, and even even literally just a couple of weeks ago, I went out to Texas to visit my family, and every night we sat down and we played poker because that's what my family does: is we sit down and play poker. And you know, we play for a couple <laughs> dollars. It's not real money, but again, it's that same thing. This is. 
At the end of the evening, my family would like to all sit around a table and talk to each other. And this is the vehicle by which we do it. And, and you know, th this is this goes back to my grandparents used to do this. You know, this is something I've been doing since I was a little kid. Some of my, my, my happiest memories of, of childhood was, you know, gaming yeah. in the sense of playing poker with my family. And it, and it has nothing to do with poker. It has nothing to do with the game itself. It has to do with, wasn't it great for the, you know, six or seven of us to sit around the table and enjoy yeah. each other's yeah. company? Now, yeah, it's, it's, so. it's, it's, I think it's, I think before the, around the 70s, you were born in the 70s, early 80s, then you got a lot of board games gaming done, uh, card gaming done, a lot of social yeah. gaming done. I mean, since digital game came, that kind of, kind of, this industry kind of suffered for it, but I think it's coming back now, and I think it's coming back, and it's great. So there's been this incredible renaissance of board games lately, and, and you know, it used to be you would go to the board game store, and they had, you know, five or six different games. Now you go to the board game store, and they've oh. got hundreds of games, they're games about anything. But when I pick them up, it seems that they are so influenced and so sort of driven by the way that we think about video mm -hmm. game design. Have you have you have you noticed this? Have you seen mm -hmm. you know? Because when we were kids, you know, you and I are of a similar age. When we were young, mm -hmm. we played Axis and Allies, mm -hmm. and we played Risk, and we played you know Stratego. These the, you know we didn't have the hundreds of mm -hmm. different board games that exist today. When you walk mm -hmm. into a gaming store now, how have games changed? What is this renaissance of, video, of, of, of board games Ooh. like to you? I have an opinion. Okay. I'm curious what um, yours is. I, I, I think it's kind of, uh, it is very, it's evolved. Board games have evolved to take on digital entertainment. I think the big publishers out there, they understand, uh, they've, they've seen what's happened in the digital space and they understand how people's uh, kind of tastes have changed. So you need you know, you need a strong plot point. You you need a strong story. You need a, a world that a person can kind of miss even when they're not playing the game. And that's what keeps a board game alive. And this is mm -hmm. why you don't see too many abstract strategy games coming out. You know, that's why you don't have too many, you know, your uh, mm -hmm. chess or checkers analogs doing well. I mean, those are board games too. Here, you know, you have... Mm -hmm. Board games today are about stories. So when you play a Machi Koro or when you play a, a King of Tokyo, uh, you know, uh, or a Navertigos, for instance, there's a real story there. You have a character. You're trying to do something. Um, <clears throat> your actions mean something in the world. And that something is something that you can connect with, with real life, right? So mm -hmm. that's the, I think that's the innovation that has happened. Uh, and I think it's pretty cool because, and, and again, I mean, like, if you look back, you know, Heroescape, uh, some of the bigger games that used to exist. I mean, like Warhammer, for instance, uh, you know, has always been like that. It's a very deep, dense, dark yeah. world uh, that's kind of very alluring, and, and, and you can spend your entire life in it, and people do. So what we wanted to do with the Vertigos is also, like, kind of get into the lifestyle. We have this really cool concept. You have mm -hmm. these ships you make, and you, you, you customize them with your own sails and things like that, and so you own it. And that's more than just the game. I'm mean, like, even when you're not at the game, you can see the ship. It's on your shelf. You, you'll go back to it. And so it's, you know, games do it with different different kinds of things. So a lot of times it's the box. The box itself has to kind of tell the story. You need to know what's the feeling that you get. So Tokaido, uh, for instance, is a, is a game about taking a holiday in Japan. And it has that, you know, the box itself evokes that Zen feel to it. You know, you can look at, uh, you know, King of Tokyo. And it, it, the box looks like colorful mayhem. Right. So a lot of times nowadays, board games, whether it's the pieces, it's the boxes themselves, it's the map, 
they evoke a sense of feeling of belonging to the world. And, and, and board games have kind of perfected that thing of here's this box and this box is going to make you do this. That's where I think board games have come to. Like, So no, what I was going to say is I, I, I think when I look at, at Warhammer 40K, you know, you talk about a game that creates a world. I can't think of a game that's created sort of a bigger, more interesting world than yes. Warhammer 40K, right? And part of what for, that I think people draw into that is it, is it pulls from those wargaming roots and says not only do you get to buy all these fun little critters but you get to paint all of these little critters you get to make them yours right i can i can pick pick them out and you know my little orcs look like this and your little orcs look like that but these are my orcs and i made them and it creates this real ownership in a way that say a collectible trading card game doesn't I noticed, so so please tell me, uh, when I look at a Vertigos, I see these, you know, bright green and bright purple ships. Please tell yes, me I can paint Of course, they're can supposed to be painted, and, 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 and we'd love to see that, that the result of that endeavor. Not only do we, they need to be painted, what we've done is all across the ship, there are places where you can place tiny masts, right, and, and, and actually add sails, mm-hmm. customized sails that you can print in paper. We're going to be releasing print templates for sales. Oh, so those those little sales are actually made out of paper that I can like get yes, markers and yes. color yes, and myself? you can print them out as well and cut them oh, out. Oh, hell yeah. And you know what we did? All the masks that we've used in the game, the little plastic masks, they are the size of your standard toothpick. Ah, so you could like get your own toothpicks and... I want to make a kind of a man of war with like 15 sails on it. You can. Yeah, and, and, oh, and like, you awesome. know, I want to put sails on the sides. I want to put sails on the top. I want to, you know, wherever I want to do this. Like uh, like I said, all the modules are such that they kind of click on and click off. They, they don't really lock in place. So, you, you know, you can paint them all separately and then you can actually... Like, you know, your destroyer can look, today you're going to battle and your destroyer can look like completely badass. And tomorrow you're going to battle and you want it to look over the top funny and you can do that. And so you can just base, paint your base ship and paint your modules differently and then click them on differently and put on the different sails. And completely every time you will take this out, you can have a fully different experience. Well, yeah, and I think this this touches on something that, that I think people miss when mm. they're talking about board games is... You don't get to play the game as much as you want. You know, when I think you know, my my history of gaming is uh, largely Dungeons and Dragons. This is how I got into the world of gaming. I played lots of Dungeons and Dragons, and and so for me, I would probably spend for every hour that I spent Ooh. playing D and D, I probably spent five hours reading D and D modules or reading D and D books or thinking about my character or putting together modules for people to play. So there was that that single player. Let yes. me go build something. Part you know, let me go learn about the world and build something. And that part was critical to enjoying Dungeons & Dragons. It wasn't just that you showed up and played the game. It was that you spent all this time outside of the game preparing or learning, and then you brought that. Because there was only so many times a week you could actually play the game. So I could stretch out playing the game into a a much sort of longer period by having something that I could do myself. And I think when you look at uh, collectible trading card games, this this is the same thing. What do people spend most of their time doing? It's not actually playing the game. It's actually building decks and reading about how to make better decks and so here in the same way by and and i think this is something warhammer did very well by allowing you to paint and and do stuff with your ships there's that that i I guess in a way you could say offline moment where i can go away and i can prepare something so that when i come and show up and you and i are going to play this game together i whip out my kick-ass ships and you're like oh my god that looks so cool like those that thing that you did is cool and so now there's something I can do offline when I don't have somebody to play my game with 
that still allows me to, hmm. I guess, play yeah. with yes. the game. And, and actually the modules, yes, it does. It completely does. You caught, caught on to that. In fact, what we've done is the modules have different functions, not only different form. So depending on what the ship looks like, hmm. you can actually kind of guess what the ship's going to do. And by playing around mm -hmm. with that, you can have like completely different ships that are able to do completely different things. You know, so when you when I go to my friend's place, I go to Alan's place and I take out my ship and I show you, hey, this is the ship I made. You're going to go, ooh, ah, 10 minutes looking at it and like, oh, my God. Oh, so you put the gunner and the bombardier. Oh, so you I know what you're going to do with this. And in a kind of like it's it's that added fun that's beyond just what you're seeing on the match. So, you know, that's my hope, right? Like, that's, 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 that's what we want to go for. It also creates something, and I think this is something, you know, a lot of people who listen to this, this podcast, um, when you're building a game, you're thinking about why will this game be viral? Why will people go to a place like Instagram or Facebook and share their experience with this game? And being able to, you know, especially, I love the idea of being able to, to grab a, uh, a set of markers and color my own, uh, my own sales. That's something very straightforward and cheap and easy that somebody can do. But it's also something I can take pictures of and throw up on Instagram and say, like, look, I built my new thing. That's something that's interesting for them to share as opposed to you as a game developer, you know, pushing people, hey, can you go share this because you like the game and you want to help us? It's them saying, I want to share this because I made this cool thing and I think people might be interested in seeing it. And, and, and you know you know where this is from, right? This is where, what, what we were talking about earlier. This is from video games, right? This is from World of Warcraft. It's like, yeah. this is your character. No, it's it's really interesting. So I want, to, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the Kickstarter. I want you to walk me through, you know, and, and the, the point to this is, again, a lot of people who listen to this are game developers. They're going to, some of them are going to try to do their own Kickstarters. What's What's Kickstarter been like for you? How, when did you start? What did you think about? What? Walk me through how to, because it looks like you have a very mm. successful Kickstarter going. Uh, you're up to like almost mm. half of your thing funded mm. in, in 48 hours. Uh, mm. Things seem mm. to be going well with it. What did you do to get this success? Okay. Besides so, have a cool game. Uh, well, well, yeah. So cool, have a cool game. That that that's the first one, right? You can't you can't. Yeah, we'll assume that part. Let's assume I have a cool game. What you need to do is you need to get uh, you need to get buy-in. You need to get buy-in even before you hit Kickstarter, right? You need to get. So first thing you do is, and this is my this is my philosophy. I don't know if everybody believes this or not, but I believe that you no man's an island, no company's an island. You can't do things alone. Like I can make I can design this game, but I need an awesome manufacturing partner who can deliver the quality that I want in the quantities that I want. I don't want to try to do that. So I need to go find somebody who can build this. I need to, there's like a whole bunch of stuff that makes the game come alive. You have to do play test sessions. You've got to get friends involved. You've got to get family involved. you got to put, the, and it's not like it, you know, a lot of the sessions I don't even actually participate in, right? I actually just watch. I get people to come in and play this game and, and I just watch them. I don't, have, I don't get talk in that session. Like, so get the community involved, get feedback, get other people to tell you that what you're doing is right, right? Let people walk on your neck, literally, right? At that point, that point in the process, you need, you know, one of the things that I think you need to do as a creative, believe in what you're doing, but let people give you kind of their unrestrained feedback, right? And that usually feels like, you know, that feels like a beating, but take that. And learn from it. Yeah, it's hard. I know. I know exactly. It's so hard when because you tell people, yeah. "I want your honest opinion," but sometimes yes. you don't want the honest. I mean, emotionally, you don't want it. You need it, but emotionally, you're like, 
fuck you. This game is good. What? Why are you so stupid? This. Why are you doing this to me? I can give you a great you know, example you... right here. We worked on this video, on the campaign video for a month, and then I sent it to you, Chris. What do you think? And you came back with some awesome feedback, and I was devastated listening to it. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh my, I thought I had already made it perfect, and you were like. No, you know, you, you, you said, right, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, how many people play this? How long should I play? What's happening here? Why is this like this? And I was like, I, I thought that was obvious. I didn't say anything to you, but, you know, that is exactly what it felt like. It felt like you, know, you were punching me with every line. But then the thing is that you gave me some really good feedback, excellent feedback. Get a voiceover. Get, and that, I think, made this video what it is you know i have a, I have a good friend juan he also uh he used to run a game studio now he works for another friend of mine who mm. runs a game studio and he's one of my best friends in mm. the world and i remember once uh I, I showed up at a game convention and i'd been out drinking the night before and fact up i just had the worst breath in the world right and he he pulled me aside he said chris dude you need to go get some breath mints or brush your teeth you need to do something you can't you can't you can't hang out here with that breath and I, I thought to myself, I said, there's two kinds of friends in the world, right? There's the friend that tolerates Ooh. your bad breath, and there's the friend who tells you, dude, you need Ooh. to go brush your teeth, right? And friend friend number one, you can have lots of friend number one. They're great to have around. But your real friend is the friend number two, which is the one who will tell you the stuff that you don't really want to hear, but you need to hear, you know? And I, I think game developers are the same way. It's so nice to have a bunch of people tell you your game is great. And I see it so often that there's these sort of circle jerk kind of groups of people where they show their game and everybody wants to feel supportive and they want it to be a constructive environment. And so they all only say nice things. And you see a game that's, you know, kind of okay and it goes up in one of these, you know, it's, it's a lot of like Facebook groups and stuff like that. So they'll post their thing in their Facebook group or their Reddit chat or whatever. And a whole bunch of people who mean well, who are really supportive, will be like, wow, that's really great. That's really. And you look at it and you're like, that's actually not great. This guy's going to lose a lot of money if he continues with that. And you think all, all of these friends that he's got are... They don't know that they're hurting yeah. him, but they're hurting him. I want to tell you, you a know? story. I want to tell you a story here. Uh, if you go to my Facebook page, right, uh, right now you'll actually see a post by a guy called Rajesh Rao, and Rajesh um, is mm -hmm. from Dhruva Interactive, a massive game company. They just, I think, they just got an eight million dollar. Yeah, huge, huge Indian game company. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I actually wrote to Rajesh and I said, you know, why don't you, uh, Rajesh, please kind of share this? And he actually shared uh, uh, this on my page. And he shared a cool little story. I, I didn't expect that. Basically, I, 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 you know, and I, so, you know, but this is about 2000 when I started my first company, right? I wanted to make, because I, I used to play Orn and I, I Dark Rain and I wanted to make Dark Rain. So I, I've been, I put together a small team, like, mm -hmm. you know, I was 20, 21 and I had like two or three friends and, you know, somebody did art and somebody did this and we did this and like, uh, you know, at that time, Direct X, uh, you know, uh, we, we actually built a game based on uh, DirectX engine and, and things like that. And, uh, you, you know, we used the SDK and, and we got it together and we built something. And I went to a, a investment banker uh, family friend and I told him that, you know, I've built this game and I want funding. And, and he called in Rajesh, right? And so Rajesh already had a company and he was already running it. And, you know, Druva was already uh, kind of 17 years ago. It was already a big company. And uh, so he looks at it and he says, mm -hmm. Okay, what you've done is pretty impressive. You know, your kids and, 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 and you got together and you built a game. And, you know, in today and day, and at that time in 2000, it was kind of hard. You know, we wrote our own engine and everything. 
And he says, but it's not good enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not something that you can go out to the world with. And I was kind of devastated, mm-hmm. right? And he, he so he basically didn't fund me at that time, and and the investment banker didn't fund me either. And today, when I sent him a vertigos, and I, you know, and and he remembered that story, and he has posted it on his wall, and he's got like sub thousand followers, and uh, and he's like. He posted a vertigos. He's, he's tweeted it out, and he's like, you know, look at this. This is Sid's Kickstarter. It's awesome, you know. And he posted that story there. And the people who are kind of liking that story and, and listening to this, there are people who are entrepreneurs as well, and they get it, right? They get the fact yeah. that here's somebody yeah. who said to somebody, that you need to try harder, and that other person did, and now that person is kind of, kind of done well, and and he's trying to do something new, and and it's not like he's not willing to share his success right he's not it's not willing it's not not like he's not willing to share what he's doing or or tweet out for me but he just wanted me to mm. be good enough so that he could be truthful to me right and i think that's important mm. i mean that's really important and so build up to kickstarter right the one thing you need is you need feedback right you need to have a clear clear mm. idea you need to kind of build something Get that feedback. Get prepared. If you've not thought about mm-hmm. so, and you know, I just today I've had a comment this morning um, about somebody commented about why we chose a particular kind of dice and 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 how that dice works. And 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 if I wasn't ready with my answer, I don't have a conversion. So you can't get onto the stage and think that that's when you're going to prepare. The Kickstarter doesn't work like that anymore. You have to be already prepared. Yeah, because you don't you don't have time, right? You get you get most of what's going to happen happens yes. in the first couple of days. So if you're, if you're not <laughs> yeah. ready, you're not ready. Yeah. So you have to be prepared. Missing. You have to be you have to make sure that you do your homework, right? You're making a board game. You know your manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You know your uh, shipping. You know your you know you, you've built. So I know for the next thirty five days what kind of content I'm putting up. What when is it going out? Who's in charge of mm-hmm. it? What are they doing? How what do they need? Right. Every part of that has to be planned. And, and, and that requires that requires preparation. That's not something that, you know, it's 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 not just about the idea. Kickstarter people need to believe that you have the ability to deliver on that idea. Yeah. And, and the next thing you need is you need family and friends. One thing I can tell you, you cannot be an ass like an asshole. Like, you know, you cannot, and you can't, you can't succeed on Kickstarter like that. I'm screwed. I'm no, you're, screwed. You're, I can never be on Kickstarter. You're the nicest the people I know. You're, you're the nice kind of asshole. That's, 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 that's okay. That, that sounded wrong. That sounded wrong. But. That's, that's going to be my subtitle. For, I'm going to go put, that's going to be my new Facebook description of me. I'm the nice kind of asshole. That's, yeah. that's done. So, uh, you know, what you've got to do is, you know, so one big part of this campaign has been, that my friends have come out and helped me. Alan was one of the first people. He is not the one, sorry. He is my number one backer. He backed me. All right, wait, I gotta I gotta interrupt for just a second. For everyone who's listening and keeps hearing the word Alan and doesn't know what that's about, Alan is my business partner and also Sid and Alan and I are all good friends. So Sid knows Alan and Alan is my business partner. So that's who Alan is that he keeps talking about. He was number one backer on on Kickstarter. I have him as backer number one. He was the first guy to buy a Vertigo's in the world, right? And you don't get that unless you have friends, right? You have to have friends, yeah. you have to have family, you have to have people who believe in your dream and, you know, and have to like you. And in the first few hours, they are the ones who are buying it. I have about 60 friends, I have 164 backers right now, 60 of those are friends. That's what's inspired 100 other people yeah. 
who are all over the world to back me as well because they know I have family and friends. I'm not going to run away with their money. You know, we did we did three Kickstarters. Two of them failed and one of them succeeded. And the the last one is the one that succeeded. And you know, the the funny bit is when the when the last one succeeded, it was the exact same thing. The first backers for that last one were the backers from the last two Kickstarters. They were people who knew us. They were people that believed in what we were doing. So, you know, it's it's exactly like you say, you build that audience, you build that reputation, and whether they're, you know, actual personal friends of yours or whether they're people who believe in your studio or believe in your company, it was that process of, you know, hey, we failed a Kickstarter, but we're going to keep making the game, and, you know, hey, we, we did a dev live stream and we talked to the people, so by the time we did, you know, round three of the Kickstarter, which was actually a, an add-on pack to the game that we tried mm. to kickstart the first two times, we had people that were like, hey, I've, I've tried to be a part of your Kickstarter twice. I'm absolutely there a third time around. And so it's, uh, and, and that was, that was the core that started it and made us have a successful Kickstarter. So it's exactly like you say, the, the, the first, like, the first couple hours, that's going to be people who, who know you or know your company or know you personally that are coming in to support yeah. you that are going to kickstart that thing. That's that's absolutely yeah. true. 30% of our traffic is coming from Facebook today. Um, you know, 30% is coming from Kickstarter, but 30% is coming from Facebook. And that's basically all my friends shouting out that, you know, here, here, uh, here's yeah. something my friend did. Back it. Let's assume for a moment this this doesn't work. What happens if you get like seventy five percent of your Kickstarter? What what's your what's your plan then? I have not like literally not slept for a month. The, the past two two <laughs> days have been like I have been drinking coffee, Red Bull, looking at my screen, talking to people, chatting, all this. And and before this, there I've been like on a, for a month. I've not kind of not had a proper night's sleep and I've been working and we've been trying to make everything right. And my wife asked me, right? So just when I pressed the campaign go live button, I started breathing. Mm. And I'm not stressed mm. anymore. I've done the best I can. This is one year of work, right? One year of preparation. I am, mm -hmm. I, I'm sharing. Now the world will embrace me or not, but I won't feel bad if they don't. I will get up and I'll do this again. Because I know I gave it my best, right? And if my mm. best is not good enough, I need to improve. The world's not dissing me. I need to improve. Well, it doesn't do well, it doesn't do well, we tried hard, right? We'll try again. It does well, then we did the right thing. So so let's let's look at the other thing, the other possibility. All right, you make your Kickstarter. You, you get, and I, I believe your 100K. Kickstarter is what, 100K mm. uh, Singaporean? Yeah, but it's Singaporean. It's, it's <laughs> funny red money instead of real money. Uh, which, which I, I, 100K Singaporean, that's like, what, 75,000 yeah. Americans, something like that? Let's say you do make it. Let's say you make your Kickstarter. Uh, you know, Obviously, you have a plan to ship those mm. units to those people and to manufacture mm. those. Obviously, that's all done. What's what's the next step? How do you how does somebody get these board games into the hands of people who didn't kickstart it? So we are already in touch with Amazon. We are in touch with uh, FLGs. We've actually made retailer packs. Uh, we are getting onto Backer Kit. There's like a whole bunch of stuff that's going on to make sure that. Uh, so the Kickstarter doesn't actually cover. I like you just you must know, right? So my minimum order quantity is uh, like two thousand units, right? Um, Kickstarter. If I just barely kind of succeed, I need just 300 people to do that. I still have 1,700 boxes of product that I can move. And so I'm already already working on figuring out where that goes. And so I have been working on, uh, you know, the retail channels. We've been talking to shops. Um, we've been talking to distributors. 
And, and so that's like, that's the follow on. So I'm, I'm going to ask a very, wait, wait, I'm going to stop you there because I want to dig into that a little deeper. Uh, you mentioned two shops uh, in Singapore. Alice Point Battle Bunker. So by the way, for, for those of you who live in Singapore, two wonderful gaming stores that you should support. Where do they get their games? Do they go directly to the game developers? Do they go through a middleman? How does, how does Battle Bunker store their shelves? Okay, so uh, board games are a conventional product. They follow the same process. Retailers buy from wholesalers, wholesalers buy from distribution hubs, distribution hubs buy from publishers, and, uh, you know, the kind of, the, the developers give the product uh, to publishers. Now, in, in, in this particular instance, we are publishing. So what you need is a warehouse, uh, warehousing. So you basically work with, um, so what I've done is we've hooked up with the major f- freight and logistics company that's going to send this game to various fulfillment centers all across the globe. The product is going to go there and sit over there. And, uh, you know, the number of uh, copies that I need for each uh, kind of um, geography is already planned. What we're going to do is when we are shipping this, we are also going to uh, be reaching out to board, uh, board game stores. And each store just picks up like a mom and pop store will pick up like, say, five copies, ten copies. Uh, and we have these packages that go to them somewhere out in the world these are yes. sitting in fulfillment yes. centers yes. where they've been placed by the the man so the manufacturer I'm, I'm guessing in china where 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 are they being manufactured panda games panda games I'm, i want to give a shout out to my manufacturing company panda games awesome awesome people there they've done some pretty good work before they've done tail feathers and pandemic and they've, they've done awesome games uh they're uh you know, they are manufacturing for for us in Shenzhen. Uh, they're actually a Seattle-based company, and, uh, you know, uh, they will manufacture it, and then uh, my uh, shipping logistics company will pick it up and then uh, distribute this to all the hubs, and uh, from the hubs, it will go to the retail stores. And so um, one of the things that we have, we're not doing that right now, the retail store contact we've, we've actually built a list of uh, retailers all over uh, all over the world we've actually put ourselves in the right groups uh, online as well um, and kind of we will make sure that this goes up to the retail stores so if i'm if i'm a retail store out there i'm i'm a i'm a battle uh, what was the name of the store again the the battle bunker I, we, the, they should you know sponsor this podcast <laughs> we've mentioned them so much um, so I'm I'm Battle Bunker, and assuming Battle Bunker was not in Singapore, assuming it was in I don't know yes. Berlin, right? Somewhere where Sid yes. doesn't live, right? How does the Battle Bunker of Berlin okay, know so, that your so, game exists? How are yeah, they? So we we write to that? that. So basically, there's, there's somebody in the office whose whose who's job is to make sure that they write to um, to various stores. Um, we, we asked them about the interest. So you literally have like a huge Excel sheet somewhere full of every yes. major gaming store in the world. Where did you get that? <laughs> you build it. You build it. All that information is available online. I mean, like, so, um, what we're doing is we have a fulfillment center in you, uh, and, and the, the, the ships, the game ships to that center. And from there it ships to, uh, everywhere in Germany. It sounds like there's this big hunk of, uh, I guess uh, we, in business terms, we would say this big, huge fixed cost yeah. right up front of yeah. doing all this preparation. Right, right. It seems to me that if you were going to do all of that, it would make sense to, you know, maybe talk to some other people who didn't have that, who hadn't invested that fixed cost, who might be interested in you guys working as a publisher. I mean, it seems to me if you were successful with one game. Okay, so a, a little bit of background here, right? We will, we have had people contact us already. 
Yes, second day in Kickstarter, I have people who want to pub- who want me to publish their game. I have two two game proposals, right? Uh, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm a developer, <laughs> so um, I'm doing that because I love Avertigos. I'm doing this. I did this because I wanted my mm. baby to have the best chance to succeed. I'm happy to teach other people how to do this. But you're not raising their babies. That's their job. Uh, well, I, I, who can say, right? Who can say? Who can say? Playway Hobbies may become a publisher one day. But right now, my hope is, and if somebody who's a big publisher somewhere in the world, uh, who's listening to this podcast and says, I want to publish everything, goes, please come and take all this work from me. I would love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like making games. I I don't like business. It's all right. So that's about. I try to keep these podcasts to about half an hour. We're at about an hour now, so I gotta call it. Uh, is there is there anything else? I I want you to. This is your one big. This is. Yes. Your, I'm giving you your moment. Tell people what they need to do to go support your thing. Give them the name of your game. Do all that stuff. The, here's your here's your minute. Evertigo's South China Sky. It's a beautiful game about flying sail ship miniatures. All right. So give me give me the absolute core details. Where do I go? How do I spell the name of the game? And what does it cost? A V E R T I G O S. Evertigo's. It's uh, on Kickstarter. Just go to Kickstarter, type Avertigos. It's the first thing that shows up. How long? How long do I have? When is the When is the Kickstarter ending? So the Kickstarter ends in another 37 days. So it's ending on September 20th. But don't wait till the end because we are doing this in a way where we are not. We have limited numbers of stuff that we are getting manufactured in the minimum order quantity. So early bird sets. Those are the ones that will sell out. And, but you can definitely get the base set anytime you feel that. September 23rd, that's when the campaign ends. But get on to the campaign earlier. The earlier you get us, uh, come on board, the bigger this game will be, the more extended goals will unlock, and the more beautiful stuff that you will get. All right, cool. So that's all the time we have. Full disclosure, I kickstarted this. Full hmm. disclosure, Sid's a friend of mine. But he's also one of the best game developers I know, and it's a good game. And if you guys are interested in supporting board games, it's a great game to support. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sid. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Okay, so that's what we've got time for today. I hope that was interesting for everybody. I tried to get a lot of information in there about board games and how they're marketed and how Kickstarters are done. So for anyone who's interested in all that, I hope that was useful stuff. If this is cool, we've got a bunch more cool stuff coming down the pipe. I've got writers, I've got musicians, I've got game developers all coming up. If you're into this, you know what to do. You know, the Facebook and the Twitter and the viral mark. You know, put it on your Discord. You know what to do. Tell your grandma about it. And we'll see you on the next show.